Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, Defender of the Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. In the mid-90s, Mike Park was writing way too many songs for Skank and Pickle. The band could only release so many. Besides, they were an ensemble group and other members brought music to the table as well. So he took a bunch of his extra tunes got less than Jake to back him, and in 1995 released an album as The Bruce Lee Band. There was a second Bruce Lee Band record in 2005, this time with members of the RX Bandits. But in 2014, Bruce Lee Band returned, now an official group with Jeff Rosenstock and Kevin Higuchi. After 2014's Everything Will Be Alright, My Friend, Dan Pothas joined the group. This has been the consistent four members ever since. They released the incredible Division in the Heartland EP last year and will release One Step Forward, Two Steps Back on May 27, 2022. Today we sit down with Mike Park and Jeff Rosenstock to talk about this ongoing project and also the different ways their paths have intersected over the years. Okay, Aaron, before we start this episode, I'm going to need you to rank these three bands. All right. Skank and Pickle, Chinkies, Bruce Lee Band, go. Okay, so the Chinkies uh, record output in the late 90s may be the top. However, I'm, the Bruce Lee Band uh, recording output from 2014 to present, I don't know. They're pretty close right there. The Chinkies stuff from the 90s is better than the Bruce Lee Band stuff, and it's definitely better than the Skank and Pickle um, recordings. The Skank and Pickle recordings are at the bottom, but as a live band, Skank and Pickle was crazy. They were so good. Well, we're going to need a whole chart for what you just did. <laughs> Do you know what my favorite one of Mike's bands is that never gets any recognition? What? A Hero. Mm. The A Hero 7-inch. And honestly, there's a, there's a song on the new Bruce Lee band album that's uh, the one that he sings in Korean. Yeah. Th that's like the closest to to the a hero it's not as aggressive at all but it's the most aggro i've heard mike sing in a long time i might actually put the bruce lee band uh stuff at the top just the 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 stuff that's with this current band which is um mike jeff kevin and dan although dan didn't play on the first one that's a solid band and like i feel like they're getting better like this new record is really good oh definitely and since we didn't talk about it very much in the actual interview just really quick the new album the thing that i was the most taken with is i really f feel like mike pushed himself locally mm -hmm. yeah 
like to to you know try things that were maybe a little bit outside of his comfort zone and i think it really paid off definitely there's also a, a really sweet song that's uh aimed at his wife what's it called i'm gonna let the listener figure that one out but i i thought it was really sweet there's some uh nice little uh nods to their history in the lyrics of that song Last time we had Mike on the show, we did briefly discuss the Mike Jeff origin story. I want to hear a little bit more about that. So Jeff bump. No, no. Arrogant sons of bitches was touring and you read Mike's website, his blog about um, then showing up at the Oakland A's parking lot. Yes. His newsletter. Yeah. Newsletter. Yeah. Yes. And uh, you didn't know Mike at all, but you um, wanted to show up and play a show. Yeah, I mean, we wanted to, I, I think we just want to get somewhere. I mean, like, uh, so if you're, or I don't know, I feel like if you're from the East Coast and you were like a ska kid or a punk kid, Asian Man Records was pretty legendary. And, you know, your scene was happening on the other side of the country. Uh, so, like, to me, like, that this super important label that I loved was like, oh, yeah, and we're all just chilling at the fucking A's game. Uh, having a barbecue, I was like, oh my God, like we had, I, I, we, I'm trying, like, I can't remember the details all that correctly, probably, but like, I believe we had a day off on tour or we had, or that might've been the tour where like our, we were supposed to have our label book us our tour back and they didn't book us back. It kind of blurs together a little bit, but like we had a generator. Um, I think it was a tour that our label didn't book us back. So like we'd gotten out to the West coast and, uh, like, and if I'm remembering correctly, uh, we had no shows going back home. We thought we were going to have shows going back home. Uh, and I was like, well, we could go to an A's game uh, for free and go to a barbecue. And we have this generator um, and we could maybe play in the parking lot. I could email Mike. He seems like a cool punk dude that would uh, be down with that and not just uh, say no to a stranger in need. Uh, and then later... <laughs> Uh, steal the idea as his own uh, but i was wrong <laughs> i was wrong i was wrong as fuck i mean that's pretty much what happened <laughs> <laughs> i don't know uh, if i got an email prior i thought you just showed up i there's no way I emailed. how would i have emailed you i guess you probably just had your fucking email on the website knowing you now i think you just showed up and don't that's not why well, anyone, every, everyone was welcome. I invited anybody. I told yeah. people we'll be here in this section of the parking lot. So they showed up and they asked to play and I wasn't ready. I wasn't in the right mind frame. So I was just wanting to barbecue yeah. and hang out. Which sounds like you, which is also, you know, that's fucking totally fair too. It's just, it's just funny now. Cause now we've known each other a long time, you know? Like we could have never met after that. And that would just be a thing, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> but I, I know you did pull out the generator and at least played music. I know we, we were blasting Operation Ivy. I do remember that. Yeah, we were probably just playing it from our van. I don't think we brought out the generator. Oh, okay. Never mind. But I don't remember. I'm going to be honest. I wasn't the generator guy in our band. <laughs> So let's talk about the generator for a second. Yeah, who was the generator guy? <laughs> uh, it would have been JT and Dave. Uh, I, I uh, one of them will kill me because I feel like one of them was running the generator the whole time. One of them figured it out the whole time. Whichever one of them hears this first and tweets that they're the generator person, they get to claim it. Yeah. So you you brought a generator into it because you were 
playing, uh, you were crashing the, um, or sneaking into Warp Tour. Is that why you had a generator? Yes, the Vans Warp Tour, yes. Although, we might have just had a generator. I don't know. We had, like, <laughs> we had like a fucking, I like, uh, my memory's too fuzzy to get it right, but, like, there is a chance that we were just, like, a band, we're like, yeah, man, let's bring a generator. Bet that'll come in handy. <laughs> <laughs> Like somebody had one, so we brought it. <laughs> I mean, I haven't toured a lot in my days, but um, I just can recall putting stuff in the van and every inch of that van, like everything had to really matter to be put in that van because there was not a lot of space. So yes, the, the joys of having a trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Mike, you adopted this idea like a year later. Maybe it was. <laughs> it it kind of hit me that oh, this would be kind of a cool idea. So maybe it was like the twelfth. I think I know we did one for like the twelfth year anniversary. Did you invite us back? <laughs> no, I just. <laughs> okay. I don't okay. think I remember. You know, I wouldn't have remembered you if if it was that one off meeting. Yeah, probably not. And I just stole the idea. So we had. I know the Lawrence Arms came out and we did a show at bottom of the hill and the next day we did the parking lot and we had a ton of bands play it was awesome <laughs> like, like did we even like fucking give you a cd i can't remember if you did a... i don't feel like we did <laughs> a lot of bands give me their cd and then i always say i very graciously say thank you and i give them a smile and then i throw it away even in, even in a situation like that when a band from across the country brings a generator to a parking lot it was like let's play you wouldn't give it a spin i would probably no i'd probably give it to someone i wouldn't throw it away but i'd give it to someone i'm like hey you want this it was scott in 2003 would you have been interested or no no you fucking, <laughs> fucking fool <laughs> I mean, I remember there was always a huge box at Asia Man that was just full of demos and CDs that you'd get, and you'd just be like, yeah, help yourself. Amazing. That's like the things we would dream about on the East Coast, to be in the Asia Man Records demo box. <laughs> did you ever take, Adam, did you ever take any of the demos? I, I did. I also, there was a demo there once of a band I didn't like, and I threw it in the trash before Mike could see it. <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure that Mike didn't go, oh, this is cool. Has that band uh, remained a band, and did they did they do anything? No, they were some crappy band from Sacramento. You got them, got them. <laughs> so, Mike, on 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 our episode, because I re-listened to it, and uh, you said that the first time you remember after that meeting, Jeff was you played an acoustic show in Long Island. Yes. Okay, and you said that Jeff and Chris Candy were already friends, and that's how it happened. Yeah. So they met because Chris Candy went. On Warped Tour, he was running the Plea for Peace tent. And because Jeff was crashing Warp Tour, they kept going to the tent because I guess I'm guessing because Chris is a nice guy. Yeah, I well, I had um I had hit up uh Ariel uh Billy Lock. I'm really sorry if you're listening to this, but I said your last name wrong. But uh she was working for take action for 1-800-SUICIDE. And I had, I had like been in touch with her because I was getting petitions signed in Long Island to get a national uh, suicide hotline. And uh, so we were already emailing. And then when our tour fell through, um, so this is probably after we met, Mike. At, yeah. This is probably after the parking lot. Um, after our tour fell through, uh and we were on i was just like hey i see the warp tour is going to be in idaho and or or Mo i forget idaho or montana and i was like 
can I just come hang out and maybe help out with the thing uh, today and like maybe get you some signatures, just like something that makes me feel not fucking useless uh, and something for us to do today as a band because we don't know anybody out here. We don't know anything to do. And she was like, yeah, sure. And uh, they were sharing a tent with a plea for peace. And that's when I met Chris uh, and Mitta and Dusty. Dusty. I forgot about Dusty, Dusty. baby. <laughs> Dusty got really, really mad uh, at uh, me because we borrowed the plea for peace uh, hand truck and lost it. Oh, dear. <laughs> she was fucking pissed. Uh, and at the time, like I, I was definitely the kind of person to be like, what the fuck? Who cares? But I was even like, oh, that's even I know that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been friends with uh, chris uh mike uh i feel like i met chris in 99 he was i believe 13 okay 13 or 14 well it's 99 32 uh, yeah something around there 99 how did that meeting go <laughs> so he came i played a show in la and he just came to the show and uh he had to actually did he i can't remember but he was just he's just such a nice kid <laughs> he was so <laughs> so nice and just very like even when he was young he was just so much more adult he, he you could just it just felt like you're having a conversation with an adult when he was a kid and i just gravitated towards him really one of my you know special friends in life i i, I love the guy yeah, and so Jeff, you you became friends with him too from that plea for peace um, warp tour. Yeah, I mean, I think I was just like, I I don't know, I don't know why he was so nice to me, to be honest with you. Like, uh, but yeah, uh, like we just we just hit it off and started talking. I think we both just shared a lot of the same interests. Uh, I was, you know, certainly like fanning out a little bit. I bet over just like being at at like the plea for peace hanging out with like the plea for peace crew and shit, you know? Um, and yeah, he was just, he just became a friend and we stayed in touch on that, on that van's warp tour. I met like six or seven people that I'm just still friends with in my life. That I feel like I'm going to be friends with forever. It's crazy. What's funny about, I didn't realize that Mida was on that tour until, um, so like in my book, the arrogant sense of bitches chapter, I have a photo from that tour. Yeah. And uh, Mida, after the book came out, he's like, hey, that's awesome that uh, you put a picture of me in the book. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, in the in the AOSOB chapter. And I looked closely. There's a photo of you guys playing like an acoustic show. Yeah. And there's Mida there. I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize that was Mida. That's so weird. I love it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so you two became friends. Like, When did you like start to actually become like friend friends? God, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Here, here's something remember? I remember. You, okay. you, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. But uh, I like, so that show had happened. We didn't really meet to, we didn't talk. I don't know. I probably was like, hey, big fan. Uh, but I hung out with Hero a bunch. <laughs> and uh, then I moved to Georgia and Jason Tan had moved to Georgia. And you sent me like a MySpace message or something. It was like, hey, man, like, I I know your friends with Candy. He tells me you live in Athens, Georgia. Uh, my friend Jason Tin just moved down there. He doesn't like. I think you're like he doesn't know anybody, or like he could probably stand to meet some people. Uh, here's his number. You should hit him up. I was like, sure, that sounds nice. I just moved here too. I don't really know too many people. Um, and that's what we were talking. And then like, 
in a like a bunch of months later, I was like, hey, Candy, uh, you think Mike would put out a Bond the Music Industry record? Because I was like never really even thinking about Bond the Music Industry being on any label unless it could be on Asian Man or Discord, which like Discord is out of the question because we're not from DC. Um, <laughs> and uh, Candy asked you and you were like, okay. And then, uh, you know, that's when we start. That's when we first talked on the phones when we talked about putting out Get Warmer. And then I think like, the more I was like coming out to the West coast and hanging, we we're like, Oh yeah, we're friends. Right. Is any, what do you think? How do you feel about that? Remembering? <laughs> that could very well be. I definitely remember. <laughs> I definitely remember asking you to um, introduce Jason Tin to people in Athens. Uh, I'm trying to remember it. And I'm very well believe that Chris Candy is the reason why the bomb, the music industry release came to be but i can't say for 100 percent that i'm certain that's the case but it probably is but we but that means like so we we became friends like we were working together first before yeah. we really became friends right so i'm guessing what i usually do with with bands when i start working with them we probably had a long conversation on the phone so i yeah. can just explain like this is what i do so there's no misunderstanding uh, I don't remember that call, <laughs> but I remember it so well. Okay. I was I was in my kitchen in Athens, Georgia. I was pacing around. I was like, "Oh my god, Christine, Mike Park's gonna call me." My nephew was born that day. Uh, it was a it was a while, and that also means it was on four twenty. Now that I think about it, uh-huh. um, but it was like that was a big moment in my life. Like nobody, yeah, like I don't know. Up until then, really, nobody fucking gave a shit. You know. <laughs> Yeah, Mike, it's a big deal. I'm, I can clearly remember the first time you and I talked on the phone. Really? <laughs> I can, yeah, it was a big deal. And you know, you know what you told me? What did I tell you? Oh, no. Okay. You want to hear this story? Okay. Yeah. I was on my way to work. I worked at a drugstore uh, in Gilroy. It was called Bill's Drugs. Okay. And I told you that. And then you said, do you ever steal at work? <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> and you said, you should steal. <laughs> oh my god! I'm so sorry. What? Why was I saying that? Was I trying to I don't be? Know. You tell me. I was trying to freak you out. Or was I being serious? I think you were just trying to be funny. Okay. I don't know. Sorry for being a bad influence back then. <laughs> so, Aaron, did you start stealing? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't start stealing. Good. <laughs> you Good. Fuck. Steal from the pharmacy. What's wrong with you? Steal from them. <laughs> Mike's right. <laughs> should steal if you're working at a drugstore everyone go steal is that yeah. mike park says so is that a mom and pop in gilroy bills it was a small chain that was kind of in the bay area oh that's a gray area <laughs> and, and it's gone no it got bought out by a place called long's drugs which was like a, a probably like a more of a west coast chain i know about long's and i think long's got bought out by cvs which is a national chain so and we all know about CVS, yeah. Thank you for coming to our podcast, The History of Drugstores. <laughs> so, bomb the music industry. You were just you were just giving away records, um, on quote unquote, up until that point. We might have had vinyl at that point. Okay, so was it? So the relationship with Mike was that about physical release then? Oh yeah, that he that he would do the CD and the vinyl and the, and the digital. Like he did everything. It was just also on quote unquote. So you could buy the album. Um, from Mike digital, or you can just get it from you for free. Yes. <laughs> so we would, I do recall like some of those early sales reports, like Jeff 
remarking like why are people paying for the digital and this is before streaming it's mostly like itunes purchases so it was literally the same thing you would get from me but i mean i don't know people who listen to asian man may not know about quote unquote it's a pretty small like niche thing you know yeah i mean it was on your website exclusively it wasn't like um yeah, you would have to know about your website and, and know about you. Yeah, it, it wasn't on every website. It was only on my website. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ... How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So this era, I, I kind of think of this era, I don't know the, the order of things, but there's like this period of Asian man where it's like, bomb the music industry, AJJ, Hard Girls, you know, Lemuria. It's kind of this kind of exciting period. Shinobu. Of all these really good, Shinobu, these really good, like, punkish kind of bands. But they're not just punk. They're also, like, unique. Uh, they all kind of make unique type of music that falls under the umbrella of punk, in my opinion. So we kind of discussed how Bomb got there. How, how did this, what, what was the beginning of this period? I mean, did you get AJJ first or... So this was like a, a dark period of Asian man. I saw as I got older, you know, so I started Asian man when I was 26, but as I got older into my thirties, yeah, I kept releasing music by people who were my peers and my age. And it took me a, a, a second there to realize, well, you know, I'm old people. Kids don't <laughs> want to buy music by old people. So I had to really start going to shows again, like going to house shows, going to Gilman street and kind of seeing what are kids listening to asking a lot of volunteers would come in. I just ask, what are you, what are you listening to? And so uh, we had a employee, uh, Skylar Suarez, which everybody here knows. And Mm -hmm. he's the one who introduced me to AJJ. He, he had seen him at a house show and he's like, Oh, you got to check this band out. Uh, and also Lemuria. So he was he was responsible for AJJ and Lemuria. So Man. check these bands Tyler. out. Tyler. Yeah. Also responsible for No Torso. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great band. This uh, ska band from uh, Norway, but nobody knows who they are. Yeah. But I know who band. they are. Yay. Uh, and then, so... So it's a lot of these bands too, like, um, were also, you were also putting out the record on quote unquote, right, Jeff? Literally none of, well, Shinobu and Hard Girls, but, uh, not, not Lemuria or AJJ. We didn't know each other. Choto Ghetto? Yeah. Choto Ghetto. But where did we talk about Choto Ghetto? No. No, but I'm sorry. Choto, <laughs> Choto Ghetto was on fucking quote unquote before, uh, we were on Asian Man. Okay. Like Candy just emailed and was like, yo, dude. Uh, I would spoke to you in a couple years. Uh, check out my band. You want to do it on quote unquote? I was like, fuck yeah. Get your shit together, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> do your research. Damn. Okay. There's lots of facts out there. <laughs> yeah, all this information's out there. <laughs> I don't know if that's right either. <laughs> all right. Let's step back a little bit to um, the original Bruce Lee band. 
the original Bruce Lee band was a side project. That was like your very, very first post Skank and Pickle. Or was it, did it happen during Skank and Pickle? During Skank and Pickle, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you just tapped uh, Less Than Jake and you said, you know, let's make this record for fun, right? Mm -hmm. How many shows in, of that version of uh, Bruce Lee band did you play? Uh, I, I can't remember exact, but I think we played five shows. I think we played Santa Cruz, uh, Petaluma. Yeah, I saw the Petaluma show. Um, Sonora, Riverside, and maybe that was it. Maybe four shows. Yeah. And it was it was fun. It was great. I was like, wow. Because at that point, even though I was only, I think, like 25 years old at that point, I was already burnt on touring. So I was like, man, if I could just do this and not have to tour, just play once in a while, that would be great. Because I, I had a lot of fun at those shows. and. Um, that was kind of, uh, an awakening almost of, I am not meant to tour, but I'd still like to play once in a while. So the first version of Skank and Pickle, when, when it was Mattingly in the band, it was much more of an ensemble and, and you and Mattingly, I think maybe even more him like competed for the sort of the front man position, but Bruce, so Bruce Lee band, these couple of shows, it's like, now it's like Mike Park's band, like in a in a much more overt way yes finally huh finally <laughs> did you like that better <laughs> uh i don't i can't say if i liked it better it was just it was just uh fun it was fun to do like a little side project with some friends and a, a record that i thought was good even look listening back it just basically sounds like less than jake with me singing it's it's oh, oh. It, it's very less than jake sounding uh and it was just a fun. I mean, we did that in two days. We just blew through that thing. I was like, boom, screaming the vocals and just like everyone's ex express. I could see their expressions. Like if I when I did a good take, they'd be like, yes. And I was like, all right, next song. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> when you would then like record what would end up being the first Chinkies record with Slapstick. Mm -hmm. And at the time you didn't have anything. You didn't know what it was going to be for. Did you consider like I'll just do another Bruce Lee band, or did you just say like that's Bruce Lee band that one record and that's it? I don't remember exactly, but I know like the Chinkies had come up because I was talking with Margaret Cho, and this was about the time she was she had a TV show coming out on ABC, and they were struggling with a name, and so she was telling me like some of the crazy ideas they were coming up with. Like ABC was like, what about like Walk on the Wild Side? And she was just no, like, what no. is yeah, no. she's, she's she's like, what is this bullshit? Why don't we we should just call it the Chinkies? And then I when I heard that, I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a band. The Chinkies. <laughs> so I don't know if that if that was the reason why those that recording project turned into the Chinkies, but I know that's how the name came about. So I'm just guessing at this point if that was the reason why those recordings became the chinkies. I know I'd wanted to do it. I had these songs. And so I'm just guessing that's the reason why that first chinkies album came to be. And you had wanted to do a, an on all Asian band too. That was part of the thing as well. Right. Correct. At the time, was there any way for you to differentiate what was going to be chinkies and what was going to be Bruce Lee band, or was it all just kind of one thing? Uh, well, after that first Chinkies record, yes, for sure. Because I, I wanted the the Chinkies to be hornless. I wanted it to be like organ-driven ska, 
like more two-tone influenced and i wanted to have like the band the imagery of the band to be like um dressing mod and having that uh, like the specials kind of like emulate the specials but as asian americans nice so it, it was definitely there was a focus behind it and to be overtly political too yeah my i would say my favorite uh project of yours from the early days is chinkies and i like i I would say the first record at the top and then the second one just under it i'm with you i don't know about the order of the records i i I love them all i love those records it's like mike you're it's like i don't know how many how many how many chinky songs are there like 50 60 and they're all good it's amazing it's incredible it's awesome oh thanks yeah i love i love like you just what you said exactly like that the organ driven it's kind of like it's more of that mid tempo, but it's still got a punk energy to it, but it's not punk ska in the way that we thought of it at that time. Yeah. And also it wasn't like ska ska in a way that it had no, like, cause I feel like trad ska at that point was just really stuffy, you know? Uh, and two tone was really stuffy. Like the bands that were inspired by that, uh, that at least I'd come across uh, and the, and the chinkies were just like energy and fun, but still had that sound. It was great. I can relate to the stuffiness, the, the ska scene for those who are new to the ska scene, it was quite different in the nineties. There was a lot of stuffiness early nineties in particular, there was a lot of man, a lot of assholes in that scene. Like if you didn't play ska the proper way, there's a lot of backlash. Skank and Pickle dealt with that quite a bit, uh, especially in the like LA, the, the scenes that were big, were LA and San Francisco that had like a big skinhead and mod scene. We were not appreciated. <laughs> I saw, um, I was a really big, I still am Hepcat fan at the time. And I saw, um, Hepcat at, uh, Slim's back in the nineties and, um, very excited. Cause I love that band, but I felt uncomfortable there like i didn't know i didn't feel like i was welcome there <laughs> was that the show you got punched at aaron no i did not get punched i got headbutted headbutted that's what it was i got headbutted at the special beat show by skinhead by skinhead and that skinhead was the first drummer of monkey yeah that guy <laughs> that guy that guy <laughs> he <laughs> likes to fight his name was alan i remember he would just get in fights yeah, some those skinheads uh, over the years of of meeting skinheads all over the world, a lot of great friends that I met, but also those a lot of those friends just were they love to fight. Well, you know what he did is he came up to me. He like slow motion headbutted me. I didn't know him. He just like this was before Monkey started. This was part of the funniness of it. He looked. He, we were in the pit in the warfield. Uh-huh. He was like pointed at me from across the pit. I have no idea why. And he like went up to me. He grabbed my head and he like slow motion headbutted me. And he did this like several times. He was super drunk. And then I told you about this, like after the the concert, I was like, dude, this is so weird. This guy was just doing this to me. And then cut to like, it must've been a few months later, monkey's first show. (laughs) And we were there, you were there too. And I was like, dude, that's the guy I told you about right there. And then you went up to him and you told him the story. <laughs> Whoa. And you're like, do you remember? You were like headbutting Aaron right here. And he's like, oh my God, I am so sorry. I was really drunk. 
And oh. then like, I remember like we would go, we would be at monkey shows every single time you would bring up that story as though you had never brought it up before. <laughs> really? Oh and my would, God. Yeah, and you would just, and he would apologize like more emphatically each time. Like, I am so sorry. I am so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, have you ever been so drunk that you slow motion headbutted somebody? No. <laughs> uh, and I've been, and I've been very drunk. Uh, but I haven't done that. <laughs> okay. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of the most violent thing I've done when I'm drunk, but it's usually just you know crying, <laughs> crying violently. <laughs> crying. <laughs> so what brought up the um, Bruce Lee, the second Bruce Lee record in um, like 2005? Would you got the we got the RX Bandits? Was it just a like whim sort of thing? Yeah, it was. It was ten years. It it was ten years, and so I thought I was ready. No. God, I'm pro- I'm getting this totally wrong. This podcast rocks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is what happened. Actually, I don't remember. Can I just make up something that I think happened? I, yeah, I can't. go for it. I believe we got I got offered to play a show in Japan. Ah, and so I asked RX if they wanted to back me, and they said yes. And I said let's record some music and they said yes and so that's how that happened but i can't confirm it 100 <laughs> percent. all right and so so then yeah then that sec that record came out of it too but that was a fun experience because that band shreds that drummer yeah i don't know if it's the original drummer still adam can you confirm it yeah it's still it's still chris sagakis oh that's sick i didn't know that either he can play tradska so well I was just like, yes, awesome, awesome drummer. Yeah, he's one of the best. What did you think of his hair, though, at the time? I can't remember. Did he have dreads? Yeah, come on. Well, you know what I thought about that. <laughs> it's fucked up. I don't like to say negative things about anybody's appearance. Sure. Mike was sure. trying to get Kevin to cut his dreads for so long. I was like, they look sick. How much money did you offer Kevin to cut his dreads? I don't know. I probably jokingly probably said a couple hundred bucks, but it was disgusting. No, it wasn't. It was rad. <laughs> Petite Japanese American man yeah. that had dreads hitting the floor. It was gross. Yeah. So we went on tour and we'd be walking the subways <laughs> of Japan and his dreads are just dragging on the stairs. It's yeah. disgusting. It's good for the immune system. That's true, actually. True that. True that. <laughs> How happy were you when he cut his hair? Uh, I was happy, but the funny thing is, like, even to this day, I, I'll always go like, man, you shouldn't have cut those dreads. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about uh, let's talk about the Kevin origin story. Um, okay. Kevin. So I grew up or I, I was in the the covering music in that in San Jose at that time in the early 2000s. And Kevin was in like um, like just local bands like Whiskey Avengers. Insolence insolence yeah. they were they were big but then they kind of were like smaller at that point so he was i remember watching you know him playing local bands and just feeling like this drummer is amazing but why is he in these small local bands right did you have the same experience well i never i wasn't aware because i i don't go to a lot of shows like those bar shows that he was playing that san jose scene that he was part of was very bar oriented 
So I happened to, I went to a party. The the drummer for Monkey had a, I think it was his birthday. Is this a skinhead drummer? No, <laughs> okay. this is this is the drummer that's been playing with him for like the last 18 years. Okay. Uh, and the Whiskey Avengers were playing this party and Kevin was the drummer. And they were playing some Trad Ska stuff and he could play it so well. I was like, dear God. So what happened while they were playing, in my mind, I was thinking, I'm going to do a Chinkies reunion with with Kevin. Because <laughs> it was always hard for me to find a good drummer for the Chinkies. And that's how it started. I, I talked to him and the Asian man 15-year anniversary was coming up. And so I had the Chinkies reunite for that. And that's how I met Kevin. Who was in the, the Chinkies for that uh, reunion? It was Jason Tin. Steve, no, Steve Choi didn't do it. Oh, oh, uh, Jason Tin, Kevin Higuchi, Byron, mm-hmm. uh, played bass. I don't even know why I didn't ask Mia. Huh. I, I felt like she was too busy, so I didn't want to bother her, which was a terrible thing for me to do. So Byron played bass, and then this woman, ah, I forgot it, Sa- Sandra played keyboards. And I, Greg, Greg Alessandro played second guitar. I was at that show. And that was, that was the lineup. Yeah. How did that show go? I thought it went really well. Yeah. I mean, Adam and I were at that show too. Yeah. Jeff was at that show too. I was, it was great. We were, were you skanking Jeff? Uh, probably not. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, well, we were skanking. So. Hey, I was, I was an artist <laughs> performing that weekend. So I, I didn't want to, you know, uh, uh, get my limbs too achy. Yeah. For the for the technical proficiency required for bond the music industry, exactly, understandable. So did did you get Kevin into Jeff's band? Is that I think indirectly because we, so we were gonna do, I guess like two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen. It might have been thirteen. Two thousand thirteen. Okay, it was yeah, long as long ago, long ago. Two thousand thirteen, Jeff. We become started becoming good friends, and Jeff would come out, stay at my house, and probably would be play play a solo show. I feel like maybe am I totally off? I I don't know that that ever happened, but we were we were friends, and like I would I I would I don't know something I remember uh really that was just really awesome about you very early on was that like I didn't have much work and I didn't have much money coming in, and you would like hand off like very like easy graphic design things for Asian man to me just so I could like make a hundred bucks here and there. Uh, so I was like, Oh, this guy's nice. And then we just kind of like, you know, we were always friends. You had at that point encouraged me to start my own label. Like we were just talking like friends and peers. And I, at some point we were like, we should make a ska record together. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you were like, Oh, we'll do Bruce Lee band. I was like, wow, cool. <laughs> But the vision was very different. I was going to make it like punk punk, like um, like almost like falling sickness, like uh, absence. Just like I wanted it to be punk as fuck. Yeah. But ska. And so I said, we're going to have I have this drummer friend, Ryan, who also runs the studio. And we'll just do a three piece. I'll play guitar. You play bass. Ryan will play drums. So we true to the bruce lee form you don't rehearse you just start recording so we started working on the first song and within like 
I'm talking the first two minutes I knew I'm like, Ryan cannot play drums. He can't play ska. <laughs> it was rough. He, he's a great drummer. Uh, and I think we were talking about, it. he's like, yeah, I don't like ska. <laughs> and we're like, huh? <laughs> yeah, he he he's a he's a good rock drummer. He just doesn't know how to play Scott. And, and so I remember like going, okay, hold on a sec, and then like talking to Jeff and going, I don't know what to do. Like, you're all the way here from New York, and we're recording a record, and this guy can't play drums. So I just I remembered Kevin from that party. Uh, I don't know why I didn't call him in the first place. I felt like maybe he was too busy. Yeah, you, you when you th- you were like, I'll get the gooch to do it. It was like you had a fucking epiphany. You were like, of course. Why was this not what we were doing the whole time? And yeah, so I called him and just thankfully he was available that day. He came in and learned all the songs just on the spot. It was just it was so lightning fast too. It was like boom, boom, boom. I think Huguenot was involved too. Huguenot, Huguenot was, was totally like, involved. Huguenot okay. was part of that first, and he like okay. wrote songs with me for for those records and on his own. Okay, so, but we 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 did that community support group first, right? No, we did. Uh, Everything will be all right, uh, my friend. First, and oh, then, really? but community support came out. I, we recorded that a year later. But oh wow! You, but we but we were dragging on everything will be all right for so long that I remember mm-hmm. being like, I bet I'll be able to get this seven ounce, this seven inch out of my label before you get the fucking shit we recorded a year ago out. And I did. Whoa. I don't remember this. And I think everything will be all right. Took like two years to come out or something. Why? I don't know. Were you, were you mixing it? Is well, that why? <laughs> I was mixing it, uh, but I don't, I don't think that's why. Because uh, I would, I wouldn't have been giving you shit about it not coming out if it was my fault. Although that yeah. would be a pretty cool move. I, maybe, I, maybe I did. I don't know. <laughs> it had to be because it took. No, don't revise history. I recorded children's songs. This is true. This was during community support group that that it happened. It took ten years for you to get the first song done. Yeah, song's great, by the way. Ah, but I, I, uh, you know, that, that moment had passed and shit, shit, was, shit was like, I don't know. I remember we were working on stuff for that children's record, uh, that I was just like, I don't know that a version of us doing everybody can do the ska is good. I don't know if this is good. Like there are things I was like, I don't know about that. Like, uh, do you like monster truck? Do you think, do you wish we put out monster truck? Uh, I don't know. I, what Santoke or what is what was the uh, Nabia? You wish we put on Nabia? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I bet Nabia would be good. Oh shit! Well, we could do it. I feel like you. I feel like I felt you like your vibe is. You're like I don't know about this. Let's just do it. I was like, yeah, I'll just focus on Bruce Lee band stuff. I'm sorry, I really dragged <laughs> on mixing that mic. I've I've felt bad about that <laughs> for a while, and I always will. <laughs> well, I I liked using it against you every every few years. I'd say, just out of the blue, I'd say, uh, "How's the children's record coming?" Mm, and I'm like, "Omena." <laughs> Sorry to go off off on a tangent there, Aaron. I mean, it it's of the same era though, like that ABC video that that got put out like what last year or two years ago. Like that's from that Bruce Lee seven inch recording session in two thousand fourteen. Oh hell yeah! Really? Yeah. It's just I just mixed it. In defense of ska, will return in a moment. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, 
How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Jeff, you said that uh, you and Mike Huguenor wrote some of the material for that that uh, Bruce Lee record or the, the seven inch and the record. I'm not sure which specifically you're talking about. Yeah. Me, me and Mike each wrote a song for the LP and uh, we wrote a lot on that seven inch. Tell me uh, what songs you guys wrote. Um, if I remember correctly, Mike wrote, Mike wrote the first two. Mike wrote, Mike wrote ag and uh, tanning depression. I wrote ag for sure. Yeah. Oh, Mike, you're Mike. I'm sorry. Mike. Oh, what we talking about Huguenot? We're talking about the Bruce Lee band. Oh, oh. fantastic! Uh, so Mike Park wrote the first two. Um, Diana was a co-write with uh, me. Me and Mike Huguenot were just kind of like so. Me and Mike Huguenot were staying at Mike's house, I believe. Mike Huguenot was probably not staying there, but Mike would yeah, come no, over. Yeah, Mike and, was staying over there. He was right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was funny. He lives so close. Uh, and we would just wake up in the morning and be like, "All right." get a guitar let's try and write a song together and then you we wrote diana um and huguenot came in with the riff for uh it isn't i forget what it's called but uh it isn't helping uh and like we kind of just built a song from there and i had kind of come in with miss me like fully formed i can really hear your songwriting style in diana in particular i'd say oh cool yeah the the vocal melody Oh, that's that's very funny. That's a Huguenot melody. That's Huguenot. I thought that was Huguenot. Yeah. Weird. It's, to me, it sounds very, um, very Jeff Rosenstock. I mean, I feel like I steal a lot from Mike Huguenot. Uh, he's in my band, so I get <laughs> so I kind of cheated him out of being mad at me about that. <laughs> but Miss Me, I felt like was 100% Jeff's song. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, the LP. So Mike Park, you wrote most of the LP then? God, I don't even remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> micro, micro, basically the whole LP. But like what would happen is kind of what it still happens to an extent, which is like you would have like a, a verse and a chorus and I'd be like, OK, here's how we make this a song. Right. I can't. It's been so long. I can't remember a lot of that record. My memory is terrible. It, it, it's it's really frustrating. That's why I'm trying to write down more of the stories that i can remember before i complete go completely senile anyhow <laughs> anywho <laughs> i i think that that's kind of how it it goes it was kind of like you know mike mike had it and then uh me and mike and kevin would just kind of go through it and figure out how to structure it and then they would become songs but then like generations on that is huguenor and dollars and cents is me i see Oh yeah, I remember having a hard time singing Dollars and Cents, and I think you had to sing a scratch vocal first to yeah help me follow yeah. that one. Huh, look at that old man's remembering stuff. <laughs> Can I talk about how much weed you smoked during uh, the sessions, Mike? Let's hear about it. Mike was just smoke. Mike had like old weed in his house. Accurate? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like super old. Mike was like, "Oh, I I know you like weed." I got some weed. It's really old. It was like this dusty weed in like an envelope. He's like, this is like 10 years old. And you're uh, right now. I remember it. Oh my God. 
And and uh, I remember that Mike's like, I'll smoke weed with you. I'll be a bad boy. Uh, you, were, <laughs> you were really worried. You were worried about your pancreas too. Really? And we God. just kept saying pancreas, pancreas, because like you weren't feeling good. You're like, maybe I'll smoke weed. I'll feel better. It's like, yeah, man, whatever, whatever you need to do for your pancreas. And uh, you, I remember you like smoked weed and then drank like a whole mason jar of water and then blew the weed smoke out. Yes. I was like, that's funny. That's a that's a good bit. Rastafari. How many times have you smoked weed in your life, Mike? Hmm. Not a lot, but probably like maybe like a hundred. Really? Is that more than you thought, Aaron? Yeah. Sir, I thought it was going to be like a half dozen. I'm old. So it's just like I can <laughs> like when I went on tour with Alkaline Trio, I think if I was on a bus, I would probably smoke every day because I was on the bus and I didn't have to worry about anything. And that's the reason. Take Alkaline Trio out of the equation, then maybe it's <laughs> half a dozen. <laughs> Yeah. So you you enjoy being high because I feel like I would assume your your brain the way you, your brain works that you would not like it. No, yeah, I can't be out and about. I have to be set. Like, okay, we're here. We're not going anywhere. Everything is done. That's the only way it'll work. I know. I had seen Alkaline Trio play in San Francisco once, and I got high backstage. And it sucked. Like the show sucked. I was just like, "Oh my god, how people people live like this? This is normal." And I remember like one of the guys who got high with me. Like I just kept kind of looking at him, and then he would look back at me and just nod his head. And I'd be, <laughs> like, I'd be like, "What the hell is going on? This is normal for most people." And I I, I don't know how people can just function like I, like dan andrano yeah. i don't think he minds if i say you know, he's, a, he's a pro smoker that guy is just smoking non-stop it's like water it, this is what i remember um when i did that tour with you skank and pickle yeah so lynette jerry lars smoking like you know first thing in the morning every day right right um you and Ian, and I don't think Jason, I don't think Jay smoked or very little. Who's Jay? Um, Jay Vance. <laughs> Why was Jay Vance there if Ian's there? Oh, no. Okay. Not Ian. Sorry. <laughs> Get your shit straight, yeah. Aaron. I know, sorry. So um, I remember them teasing you and then you grabbed a joint and you smoked it. Uh-huh. I like defiantly and you were not happy at all. Oh, I don't remember that at all. You don't remember that? No. Yeah. Mike, out of the times that you've smoked weed, how many times do you think it was as a bit? <laughs> <laughs> Not many. If I, if, I, if I did smoke, I probably I wanted to. I did it. I wasn't pressured into it. I wanted to do it. And I've enjoyed it. No, great... as, as a bit, if you're doing a bit, you're not being pressured into it. I feel like several times when I've been around you and you smoked weed, you've been like, wouldn't this be funny? Smoke, smoke, smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. I, I think people enjoy I think I perform well high. Like not 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 in terms of like live performance, but just in a group setting. I can I'll get high as long as I know we're not going anywhere. It can be very enjoyable and I can be a very entertaining. Did you smoke weed for this interview? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Doing a podcast high sounds like oh god. Terrifying. <laughs> So Kevin, you got Kevin to do this. And then so Kevin joins Jeff Rosenstock's band 
your band shortly after this, right? Yeah. Was it just because you worked with him and you're like, this guy is amazing? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I didn't know that my band was going to be a band. So when like, I talked to Jack about recording a record and I was trying to do it, like I had a, I had a plan on the East Coast that involved John and um, our drummer, Tim. Uh, and he, and that all of that, like there was a tour and there was a whole plan and it all kind of fell through. And then I was like, I should hit up Jack and see if I could record on the West Coast. And he said, yeah. And so I was like, damn, like it would be sick to have Huguenot on the record. It'd be sick to have Kevin on the record. I wonder if Kevin, like I was wondering if Kevin would even like want to play these songs if he could wrap his brain around the songs, if like he ever played like the kind of music that I make before. Cause it wasn't like a ska record. I've only really seen him in whiskey Avengers and Bruce Lee band. Uh, and then like, you know, he obviously just like smashed it and we all got along really good. And now we're a band. Yeah. He's so good. I mean, I saw him, uh, last year. Um, he, he played with AJJ. Yeah. Best I've ever seen AJJ as a, as a full band. Uh, yeah yeah they're great with him man he's a he's a great drummer he's a great person to be in a band with he rules kevin is the best he'd only had one practice at that point too and he was like reading his notes off of an ipad while playing the songs oh kevin loves to read off an ipad while he's playing (laughs) (laughs) love you kevin he's so chill too so being in a traveling yeah. environment with the with a, a jerk is never beneficial, but he's just such a good good partner. He's a great hang. He's the best. Yeah, he's fun. You released everything will be all right, my friend, and community support group. Like that was pretty close to when you released them. And so, at the time when I got them, I think I just put them in my iTunes as as one record, which I forgot about that until I was like researching this interview because I forgot that you had released that EP. I just thought it was the one record. But you know how long the two records are put together? Uh, I would guess that it might be a half hour. Yep, half hour. 31 minutes, both of those put together. Yeah, man, punk. Punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you wrote Occupy the Love? I think so. <laughs> Do you remember anything about like what inspired that song? No, I don't even know the lyrics. I occupy the bottom of my from the bottom of it's from the bottom of your heart. Bottom of your heart. <laughs> uh, the, the, I know I don't. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. I write a lot. The, the problem. I don't know if it's a problem. It could be a problem for some people. I write a lot of music, and a lot of it's I just forget. Like even old demos that I make. I'll listen to it. And if I had never listened to it again, I would never have remembered the song. So I have, I have (laughs) so many notes, like uh, recording notes of, of songs I've written. If I don't, if if I lost the tape, I would never, I would never go like, Oh, that whatever happened to that song. I don't remember it. So Dan Pothouse had nothing to do with the, those first, those first two releases. Dan Pothouse probably went ag on uh, the seven inch. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, I, I think he was at my house when we did gang vocals. I love it. When did uh, when did Bruce Lee Band became the f- official band, the permanent band, and with Dan being in the band instead of Mike? So I always enjoy Dan has played with me live uh, quite a bit, uh, backing me in different um, tours on different tours, and so even though Mike had played on the record, I wanted Dan to play live because. You have to have a good vibe with someone live, and not saying I don't with Mike, but we haven't played much together. 
and I just want, I felt comfortable playing with Dan. So I asked him, I believe we were going to Japan. Am I correct? It was, yeah, I think it was Japan and Korea and Korea. And we, and we probably, and I don't remember, but if that was the show where we did like bottom of the hill, the day that we landed, uh, I think that is <laughs> that was a fucking nightmare, <laughs> but also a really good bit, a really good bit to never do again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now we know what that's like. <laughs> but- well, it was it was a it was a pretty big show in Korea. It's usually a big show in Japan, but we it was a a, a festival yeah. in Korea, and then two shows in Tokyo, which are actually big shows too. Looking back, but but in my mind, it was this tour is all about Korea. So I wanted to bring the A game, and we so we had Dan on guitar, actually Jeff on saxophone and keyboards, Jerry Lundquist on trombone. John Denominici on bass and Kevin on drums. So we had we had a seven piece band, and I thought we were were very well rehearsed and went in it. Minus Jerry, Jerry was probably the worst rehearsed of us all. I think Jerry was good on that tour. Mm, no, I don't know. I don't know. I was just having a fun time hanging out with Jerry. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I just, you know, I love him so much as a brother and uh, just an old bandmate. I wanted. I just wanted him to be part of it, but I, I kind of remember him dropping the ball at one of those shows and kind of getting mad at him. I, I think it was Santa Cruz. Ah, uh, yeah. And like, man, you are drunk and you are playing like shit. So I think Adam Davis can kind of relate. He's seen, he's spent a lot of time with Jerry on the road. Oh yeah. Jerry likes to drink. So... <laughs> <laughs> I remember on that tour, uh, just like walking back to uh, the Airbnb or whatever we were staying in in Shimokurazawa, and like hearing just come by, ha, 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 like from down the street, and everything's closed, but there's like <laughs> one izakaya is open downstairs, and Jerry's just like doing shots with everybody there, and uh, be like Jerry rules. <laughs> Oh, yes, the best. That is, that's so funny. So we went, then we had gone back again and we brought Lars from Skank and Pickle. So it was me, Lars, and Jerry, Jeff, Kevin, and Dan. And that was as Skank and Pickle, though. I hate telling people that. <laughs> you go, fucking, can't, can't change history. Okay, so the story is we got, we got offered a. Sorry, Mike. I was trying to put you on blast. So there's there's two big agencies in in Japan, and uh, we got the agency that puts on like Fuji Rock Festival hit us up to do a skank and pickle show in Japan, offered a shitload of money, and I was like, oh god, kind of want to do it, uh, but I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want all all the members to be involved. So I I talked to Lars and Jerry about it. I'm like, hey, let's do this, but let's not tell the other members. <laughs> and so I they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I I talked to Jeff, Dan, and Kevin. I'm like, this is what we're gonna do. We're just gonna do it in Japan. We're not gonna it's not gonna be announced anywhere else. And I never announced, I never said Skanka Pickle was playing. And we just did it. We went out. It was uh pretty freaking awesome. It was so fun. Those shows were so fun. Because I was with Les and Jake and Real Big Fish and Kamuri. Yeah. So it's it's always with Kamuri, but like, wow. What a lineup. It was very plush. Like, um, 
Did they put you up at a nice place? Oh, yeah. And we all got our own fucking rooms, bro. Yeah, six six different hotel rooms for the band. Hotel and... rooms as far as the eye could see. <laughs> <laughs> How many uh, people would you say you played in front of? I think Tokyo was 2,700. That was the biggest show. Okay. And do we play Nagoya and Osaka? Or Yes. Okay. But those are smaller spots, yeah, right? Yeah, Nagoya was 700 people, and then Osaka was 1,200. Just feeding off what Jeff was saying, hear, hearing <laughs> Jerry yelling. So I would hear him and Lars yelling in their hotel room, and I'd put my ear up to the the door to listen to them, and they were just two friends. They, had, they were best friends in Skakel Pickle, and they had basically had a falling out where they hadn't talked in almost 20 years. To see them jump right back into like time had stood still was amazing. And I would just listen just, just on my own. No one else could see me and the joy of me hearing them just parting so hard watching Japanese television. I could hear them like talking about the show and just laughing drunk. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So when you did the very, very first Bruce Lee band record, you had gotten and there was an issue with the Bruce Lee estate, right? Uh, and you had you called it B period Lee band. Right. So I never got in trouble with the estate. It just coincidentally, the pressing plant that I was using, the general manager was Robert Lee, which is Bruce Lee's brother. And so he just called me and said, listen. I'm just warning you, Universal owns all this copyright stuff. They're going to go after you. So you need to change it. I'm just warning you. So I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. So I changed it to B. Lee. And there was actually images of Bruce Lee in the artwork. Yeah. (laughs) Took all that out and um, rebranded it as the B. Lee band. So how come it's, it's Bruce Lee band again? Because I don't use the same company that Robert Lee works at. <laughs> See, <laughs> I feel like what's the worst case scenario? Are they really going to? Yeah, go how much? What are they coming after you for? Like yeah. eighty dollars? Like, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's like whatever. It's a it's a tribute to him almost. Yeah. So if nobody's said, listening to the Bruce Lee band thing, like this is Bruce Lee's band. <laughs> <laughs> Did you did you go did you go back to Bruce Lee um for that 2005 record or was it I did. when did you go back to Yeah I you did. did. Okay. Yeah. So at that point you just like whatever. Exactly. It'd been 10 years I'm like who's what are they going to care? And if I feel like worst case scenario I'll get a cease and desist saying you need to change the name. Yeah. So at the time of the Bruce Lee band thing too cuz you had had all those issues with Misfits of Scott, do you think that impacted your kind of cautiousness yes, at that point? 100%. Okay. And so you hadn't had any issues since then, right? Knock on wood. Knock on wood. So, okay. You're like, we can go back to Bruce Lee band. Yeah. 
It's a yeah. it's a killer name. It's way better than B Lee Band. Yeah, B Lee. <laughs> yeah, it's <Nope>. not. <laughs> <laughs> so when you did the um, evictions, rental eviction. Do your research, Carnes. I'm calling it the evictions record. That's like a the band, a, like a nickname for it. Oh, cool. <laughs> it, it seems longer than the actual title almost. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan's in the band at this point, right? Yes. Okay. I don't, I don't have any other questions about it. Just Fantastic. To clear let's just move. Let's move Fantastic on. Fantastic. Wow. Well, like the fucking rental eviction, I feel like was a reboot of the Bruce yeah. Lee band. Cause we had Hell done yeah. the, we, we had done the tour. We had done the, we'd done the pickle tour. And then, like, you know, we just all did our shit for a while. And I don't really even remember why we did it, except I other do. than just like, why? Wh- why did you do it? Because we were going to Hawaii? 50. My, I was turning 50. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I said, let's go for my 50th birthday. Let's go to Hawaii, Japan. Did we go? Wait, did we go to Japan and Korea on that album? We, we very much did. Okay. So it was Hawaii, awesome. Japan, Korea. But okay. So that wasn't, wait, now I'm lost. What year did Rental Eviction come out? That, uh, well, I guess maybe 2000, 2019. 2019? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're right. Okay. Yeah. So it was for my 50th. Huh. And <laughs> wait a second, though. But no, then that, that would have been, that was after uh, Post came out. That wasn't for that tour. I don't know why we did it. Maybe we did that tour. We were just like, that was fun. You sure? God, now I'm, I'm totally I, lost. I, I think I'm sure because I remember uh, I was stressing out about a craig thing i was like going to go up to uh mix to record the musical right afterwards and i was getting like phone calls while i was there and i was like oh brother uh but that was after post had come out and i remember being on the roof with you being like i don't know how all this shit's gonna work out in korea on the roof at your house in new york on the roof at trash and jeff's place in korea oh hello Got it. <laughs> it was cold on that tour. Mike bought a jacket. He was sad about buying a jacket. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. How how expensive was that jacket? <laughs> it was I bought it at Uniqlo in, in Korea and I think it was like 130 bucks. Oh yeah. Jeff, how how many times did he say, Oh, 130 bucks? I, I don't know. It would be easier to tell you for how long was he not saying uh, <laughs> oh jacket, $130. <laughs> I also thought I broke my shoulder on that tour. Oh yeah, that's why, and that's how you know this is afterwards because you did a flip, uh, a suicide flip uh, at bottom of the hill. Where what was no, it? No. In Japan. In Japan, yeah, yeah. And uh, you were like, nobody was even watching, and like, I broke my collarbone or I broke my shoulder. Why did I do the flip? What's wrong with me? Uh, and that's why that song ends with, "Why did I do that flip?" Oh, it's all. Do you re- do you sense. even remember that song? If you had to, okay. <laughs> you you wrote that song. That's fair. Yeah, that's not yeah. your song. So that that's an unfair question of me to ask. True that. True that. <laughs> How long is that? That record is like what? Twelve minutes? I don't know. It's too long. I, I'm on Spotify. Let me look it up. It's too long. Fuck yeah. you. It's twelve <laughs> minutes, sixteen seconds. That record rocks. I like the I no, I, I like, like Bruce Lee band a lot from this point on because I uh, felt like. Mike, you really started like writing like your truth. You know, it didn't really feel like you were like, I'm writing some lyrics. It was like you were getting shit out and it was it's awesome. Like, uh, yeah, like um, if I could only listen to my heart in particular on this record, I remember just being like, oh, man, that's like 
a fucking real that's some real shit this rocks yeah that's a great song i'm good huh <laughs> on that song <laughs> how many people do you want to like tell you you're good on a daily basis i need at least 12 a day okay you're great mike yeah you're great mike oh thanks tweet him, mike tell him he's good <laughs> division in the heartland and uh one step forward two step back yeah. these records sound angrier in my opinion than like even the stuff came before it when so did you guys record these at the same time or nope so this, they were recorded different yeah this is all pandemic now so yeah we had everyone had time no one was touring and i said let's do i know kevin was coming home for thanksgiving this was 2020 and i 2020 yeah this is 2020 yeah yeah and i said let's record when you're here jeff was living in la at the time so i said jeff can you come let's all quarantine together and we blasted that out and that was that was super fun and i think yeah. shortly after jeff's like hey i got some more time do you guys want to do a full length like i'm talking maybe like it's like four months later and i yeah because you yeah. were talking about going to hawaii i was like we should make a record in hawaii oh yeah and then you were like, but what if we made it in San Jose instead? <laughs> <laughs> <It's> almost as good. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, uh, the, I feel like all the the two last records, the Vision and Heartland and the full length that's coming out in May, uh, One Step Forward, Two Steps Back, that's all because of the pandemic. We were able to get the time to record. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of like what you were feeling and the where the place you were coming at as a songwriter, yeah. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. It's just a, a lot of well, division in the heartland is is pretty self explanatory, at least in my mind. That we are a divided country. It's. It, it, I feel like it's so. It's it's like a sporting event. If if you read the lyrics, it's or listen to the lyrics, it's it feels like you're just rooting. Who's the home team? Is it? Is it the Republicans? Or is it the Democrats? Who's winning? It, it's it's so toxic and it's terrible because I buy into this toxicity quite a bit myself. I can't help myself. I'm I'm terrible. I keep telling myself to stop, but I can't. And so lyrically, it's all coming from a, a place of frustration and anger. And whether that's healthy or not, I don't know, but it was something that that fueled me to write these songs and i think these are i do believe these are good songs and yes i believe they have um they come from a place of truth whether you believe that or not is your prerogative but at least it's the truth in my mind yeah i think division in the heartland the song is one of your best songs just the the emotion of it and just the the, the chorus i really like the chorus a lot yeah it was fun jeff had a lot of friends uh record at home to do the vocals so we were able to have a lot of people participate that's a neat thing about technology one of the few good things is that you can have people involved even though they live thousands of miles away it it is really cool for records that you could do that now that's neat you know so jeff was division in the heartland kind of um big inspiration behind what led to you doing sky dream <laughs> uh no but uh no okay <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it, it, like, why it, it division in the heartland didn't really change anything about my relationship with ska. Like, it's the fourth record I made with Bruce Lee Band. Uh, 
I still like ska and uh, I don't know. I thought you told me a story once about how um, you were listening to a bunch of ska punk records in like 2020 because I thought it was preparation oh, for Division. You know what? Yeah. I, I, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I, I wouldn't say that that we made it was that, but I remember on the drive up to do the Division in the Heartland EP, I was just like, I'm just going to listen to like, I'm going to listen to like Hello Rock View and Why Do They Rock So Hard and all of these like records that were like big for me when I was a kid um, on the drive. And I remember listening to them and just being like, man, these songs still just fucking kick ass. Uh, and I, I don't understand why like this era of ska gets shamed so hard, you know? Um, and, uh, I think that that certainly like influenced the, uh, avenues I was, I was cool with going down for ska dream. Um, and also like what I was talking about in the forward of your book and stuff, you know? Um, yeah. just that like, I don't know, I, I really like all those songs and I think they really hold up a lot more than, uh, I would have anticipated, you know? Not that I would have anticipated, I guess, but then that, like, uh, you know, the conversation would lead you to believe. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking back, that era is like definitely better than I think a lot of people remember it. Like you're saying, like whereas a lot of other eras, maybe it's the opposite. You know, yeah, maybe people have overhyped. Yeah, man, I, I think about li- 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 looking back and like you know, mid two thousands indie rock is like that's not. Or, or even like like late two thousands, early teen tens indie rock, it's just like slow nothingness of all of it. And it's like, <laughs> how could you imagine like looking back and being like, wow, what an era of forgettable music? Totally. <laughs> it's it's funny you talk about indie rock because I I love indie rock, but the shows. Anytime I went to a show, they were so uninspiring, and I was like man it's disappointing right and it wasn't a friendly atmosphere but i still love the music i just i just never had a good time at the shows i never felt like it was welcoming or exciting people just seemed so like a lot of assholery yeah yeah i remember like six or seven years ago maybe even been a little earlier than that my friend he bought tickets to go see the national in san francisco and i love the national he's like you want to go i got a tick extra ticket and i was like cool and they they played the songs perfect, like flawlessly, exactly like the records. But I felt so bored. Yeah, that's like, not like, your why, shit. Like, why am I watching? I could just listen to this record uh, at home. Like, I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of the live experience. Yeah, it's louder. <laughs> I mean, at, at the same time, I, I saw like we played a festival with uh, Bon Iver. And I don't, I don't listen to those records. And when I have, I haven't particularly liked them. I, I respect that uh, he and his band are doing like a, try are doing an interesting thing, a cool thing. It's not for me. And then seeing it live at a festival, I was like, oh, I get this. This is like, a, a, like a big mood, a big vibe, you know, that everybody's in. Uh, I think I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it doesn't translate to uh, fun people dancing at a show, but. It translates to <laughs> sitting on a field after you've been smoking weed in the sun all day. Hell yeah. <laughs> Who were the guest appearances on the new record? Angelo Moore, Jeremy. Brian from Monkey Play Trumpet. Okay. We had a bunch of people do group vocals, uh, just like Hugo Noir, uh, his, his uh, fiance Angelina, uh, Logan from Small Crush. Uh, the Moore family band was there. 
Who else is there? Our friend Gilbert and Laura. Yeah. Steve Borth, did he remix the or do the last record? <laughs> yeah, Steve Borth did a whole song. Steve Borth did okay. the last song, yeah. yeah. He, he he did a dub of it. How is that working with uh, Angelo? Well, we we were never there in person, so I, <laughs> I just texted him and said, hey, will you throw down a solo? I'll throw you a couple hundred bucks. He's like, sure. <laughs> it's very personal. <laughs> so... So I just sent him the 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 file, and he sent back the track, and we're like, "Well, another masterpiece." Yeah, I love the video. The video, um, it's Chris Chris Grau make that. Yeah, that was nice. that was fun. Even though, again, technology. The, one of the benefits of technology is green screen, that we can make a video and not be anywhere close to each other. Including Jer was in the video too. Just yeah. green screen yourself and put together, let a great director like Chris Grau put things together and boom. Is everything okay? I heard an explosion. You did? You heard an explosion? I heard a big boom. Hmm. Hmm. I didn't hear that. None of us heard it. Also, my joke was that Mike said boom and I said I heard a big explosion. Oh. Okay, we thought you heard a real explosion. <laughs> we all took it seriously. <laughs> I'm really sorry, you guys. <laughs> Very funny. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally stream or download episodes. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's at In Defense of Scott. And please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash In Defense of Scott. You will get monthly bonus episodes, extended interviews and commentary per episode, and access to the In Defense of Scott Discord. In Defense of Scott would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week so you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has an amazing band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram and Twitter. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And if you've ever enjoyed one of the highly specific indefensive ska memes floating around the interwebs, was likely the work of the bands I like only charge $18. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And on that note, we leave you by saying, Ska now more than ever. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024 These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, 
How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.